Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. All right, episode 211 of the Pesky Report. Here we go. Here we go. It's just me, your host, Ed Ham, today. Um, we were supposed to have Tim here, and I'm going to be mentioning this all, all episode. He, Ten minutes before we started, he flaked out. But that's fine, because I've got a guest that I'm pretty excited about. Sometimes we have guests that I'm excited about and I'm a little nervous about because they've played in the majors or I've seen them at some point in my life and I get a little starstruck. Sometimes, you know, I'm a little more like, ah, whatever. I, I don't think this guy actually knows more than me, whatever. Today, I'm just stoked because I've got a gentleman by the name of Jake T. O'Donnell. Um, Jake is somebody who has a Medium account and writes stuff about the Red Sox that I I think you're like a hundred percent as far as me agreeing with you. And that is why I retweet you and suggest people follow you a lot so that when something that gives me a headache happens, they bother you about it instead of me. Uh, how <laughs> how are how are you doing today, Jake? I'm great, Ed. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. It's great to chat with you in person and not over over the Twitter machine um, and to talk some some baseball and some Red Sox. And we're like we're recording this, you know, Thursday night. The first actual game is less than 24 hours away. Oh, man, it's been the longest. It feels like the longest winter. It felt even longer today with the, all the snow that we got in parts of New England. But uh, I'm psyched. I'm so psyched for the season to start. And I'm psyched to talk to you, and I and I really appreciate you, you know, plugging me and, and, and pushing my stuff. It, it it means a lot. So and it, yeah, it's great to chat with you, dude. I've been wanting you on this show since like I, I think November, December, something like that. Yeah. Like you kind of appeared out of nowhere on Twitter. So like, what's your what's your background? Like what's your what's what's your deal, Jake? What is my deal? That's a lot of people want to know that. Um, no, like so I've been a baseball nut since I was six. So my I go back to. 1992 was my first year 
watching baseball and watching the Red Sox. Um, and I grew up in a small town in northern New Hampshire. And, you know, I not a lot to do up there. Uh, most, you know, it's a beautiful area. I grew up in North Conway area. People, people know it for the ski resorts and things like that. Um, but especially, you know, as a kid growing up there, I kind of lost myself in the sort of world of, of baseball. And, um, you know, I get, like I said, 92, uh, the best player on the team was Tom Bruniansky was my favorite. Um, uh, Butch Hobson was the manager. It was a bad, it was like right after a pretty good era, the late eighties and 1990, and then it was a pretty lean era until sort of Movon's heyday, which was like around uh, Movon was like a was either a rookie or like his second year on that team in '92. He was real skinny, if you can believe it. Um, and then you know, it, but so anyway, so that's it, it. But not just the Red Sox, but I just wanted to know everything that there was to know about baseball, and got my hands on every kind of book that I could and VHS videotape, and I, I wore out the. You know, a couple of years later, when the Ken Burns baseball documentary came out, I wore that out. And, um, I went to my first game that fall in 92 also when I was six. And so I just have loved the game ever since. I went to school for journalism at UNH. I thought about I wanted to be a sports writer. Um, I ended up going into kind of a community journalism thing. And I've kind of, you know, my, my career has never really had anything to do with baseball. But I've always written about baseball on blogs and different forms going back to like about oh four oh five when I was in high school and um, Twitter was kind of the main outlet in the last five to 10 years. And then kind of last summer, fall, I decided that I wanted to get back more into writing long form stuff about the Red Sox, about baseball in general. Um, I kind of felt in a lot of ways, like I didn't, there was like stuff media wise locally that I felt like wasn't being talked about in at least in the written form that I felt like I, I wanted to like, I wanted to be part of it. I wanted to be part of the solution and not part of the problem when it came to informing the fan base about things that are going on. Um, and so I've really appreciated folks like you and a bunch of other, like one of the, my, the most encouraging things to me over the last six or seven months is like sort of more people have. And again, you've directed more people my way, which I appreciate is that there's a lot more, there's a lot more uh, people that I think are like-minded than I maybe expected um, that, that want to look at this stuff at a deeper level and understand why things are happening, why decisions get made, why the Red Sox make decisions they make um, what's happening with players. Why did a player get worse? Why did a player get better? I just love baseball. I've loved the game. I've loved the game since I was six. I played up and up through the end of high school too. And um, that's what the, the focus has always been for me is about that. And um, so I tried to, you know, I started writing in my medium more at the end of last year or, uh, as the season was kind of winding down and um, I, I want to kind of keep, keep doing it and keep going. So um, that's, that's that's me in a nutshell. Uh, but, and, um, and again, I'm looking forward to uh, the beginning of the baseball season is always my favorite time of year because it's right. My birthday's in April and, and, uh, it always reminds me of, you know, being a kid and the season starting and the snow melting and it's like, which is right around the corner. And I, I couldn't be more excited. Yeah. There's, there's a smell when, you know, Absolutely. the snow starts melting and the baseball, you know, you're, I have a very vivid recollection and I swear this happens every year. I think being early March, on a Sunday and I come home and I put on a spring training game and, you know, for three hours, everything is hopeful. 
You know, it doesn't really, because you don't care about who wins or who loses in a sprint training game. It's just about no. the player performance and kind of seeing how guys mm-hmm. are doing. Um, and there's yeah. like, I, in a lot of ways, and this is something that I like about the minors. It really is baseball at its, mm-hmm. at its purest. Um, Absolutely. And I think, yeah. And, the, are, and, in, yeah. and in spring training, it's great too, is you get to see it's maybe your best opportunity. The great thing about Nesson is that they've started to show the Woosocks games all the time and they're on Nesson plus a lot. But it's 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 great in spring training to get to see some of the younger guys play on games on, you know, on Nesson and stuff like that. So it's like for a lot for if you don't live in Salem, Virginia, or if you don't live in Greenville or wherever, it's kind of your best opportunity or, you know, the FCL games, which are hard to go to and see. It's awesome. To see, you get to see those guys play, which is cool. Yeah, no, it's always exciting when you're seeing somebody while they're still developing. And again, while the stakes are a little bit lower, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, last year with Tristan Cassis, it was a little depressing when he got brought up and they were basically out of contention at that point. But, you know, in he missed 10 weeks during the regular season. But I can tell you when he was batting in Worcester, when I was the games that I was at there, the vibes were like watching a major leaguer. Awesome. Really, it was it was cool and boy when he hits the ball he hits it hard but um okay. something that i really appreciate about your writing and you described this a bit is that you do look at things more than surface level and you also aren't especially reactionary and i think that that's something that especially in a lot of journalism now where it's um you know kind of you're trying to get a reaction from people to get more views more clicks we went to journalism school around the same time i think so you know as well as i do that it was going from like print press printed press to the internet and no one really knew how to make money off of this at the time and you know now that's sort of been at least from my perspective it's been much more just trying to find people that agree with you and that Right. Um, are going to give you that immediate, you know, that hit, that reactionary hit. And um, it's harder to find things that are more thoughtful. It's harder to find things that actually are analyzing the game and not, you know, not looking at it through Homer glasses, but also not yeah. looking at it through this is what's going to get a response for me. And that's something that I've appreciated about your, I guess I've gone on various things that you've posted on your medium and you had a really good lead into the season that I was hoping we could talk about a little bit mm-hmm. with the Red Sox where you kind of just went over the whole roster um what was your what did what was the process of writing this like um so well I again I just I appreciate uh very much all of the things you said thank you and that that means a lot because that is a hundred percent what I'm going for with the stuff that I've been writing is just I want to look at I want to just understand why things are happening and like why things happened, you know, what does it say and what's happening next? That's a lot the stuff that I try to focus on. So I wrote, I recently wrote four uh, posts on my medium and it's medium.com slash at Jake T O'Donnell. Uh, Got to give that plug in there. Um, and I, uh, it, it harkens back to what I did at the end of last season. So it was very obvious to me. I think like after we got through the um, through the trade deadline last year and you got into like August and it was just like super clear that this Red, that the 2022 Red Sox were not going anywhere, that they were going to end up probably around a, a under 500 team and they were not going to be in the playoffs. I really kind of started to fo- think about like, okay, what's going to happen next season? And it was, I think people that follow this team closely knew had this off season circled on the calendar literally for years uh, because of the fact that it was going to be 
Bloom's real first opportunity to really remake the team, um, that they had a ton of free agents, a lot of money coming off the books, Raphael Devers a year from free agency. So I started to think about it in terms of like, okay, what are the areas that like, if we look at what's happened this season and where they kind of are going forward, what are the areas that they're going to have to focus on? Um, and, and, and they're going to have to address these actual things during the, during the, the, during the off season. And, <laughs> the, I, I'm not sure that people totally appreciate like how much work they had, how much stuff had to get done this off season. And I, I initially wrote seven different posts that focused on seven different areas of the team that they needed to address this off season. And then I, I added an eighth one later about the catching situation. Once it, once there had been some reporting from Alex Spear and, and Heimblum made some comments that made it sound like they were going to address the catcher situation to a certain degree. Um, so I ended up writing eight different posts about all, about all of these things that I, I need felt, felt like they needed to do. And I went and looked at the free agents that were, would be available, the guys that the Red Sox had that were going to be free agents, and then also potential trade candidates for each of those different spots. And if I can think of it from memory, basically the first, well, the first of the, of the eight was the Devers extension. So that wasn't necessarily like about addressing something outside the team, but it was the Devers extension. It was that outfield situation. Um, I looked at both starting pitching from a, from an in-house perspective and an external perspective, because those two things seemed to be, they seemed a little bit separate in my mind. And obviously how things ended up playing out, they ended up going more with internal options. And then I looked at, um, I ended up, I looked at um, DH and shortstop and then also the bullpen. And then again, later on catcher. Um, So, I wrote a few posts as things happened during the winter. And then I, f- I realized, I figured, okay, let's assess. Let's, let's look back and see how they addressed those eight different things that they needed to try to address this off season. And almost kind of, I, I kind of graded myself a little bit. I was like, this is, this is, you know, I, and it was kind of funny is like two of the things that they ended up doing were things that they, that, um, I just mentioned in passing, like I mentioned the name once and that's what they ended up doing. That was Kluber and your guy Alfaro. And, um, and then the one that I nailed was the bullpen one where I was like, I, 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 I listed at least for the right-handed pitchers. I was like, there's five guys that they should go after for like end of the game bullpen roles for right-handed pitchers who are free agents. I would have been thrilled if they signed one of them, they ended up signing two of them. Um, so it was obvious that that was an area that they, we knew that they needed to address considering how bad the bullpen was last year. So I just, like I said, I just went through each of those and just looked back and said, okay, what did they actually do in regards to the stuff that I thought that they should do? And what's interesting to me in looking at it is that they ended up addressing all of the areas in one way or another. Some of them, it was very minor, like with the catching situation, all, all they did was bring in Alfaro on a, on a, on a minor league deal. Um, with going outside in starting pitching, all they did was all they did was sign Kluber, um, but they didn't do anything else. Um, the shortstop situation, effectively, all they ended up doing was trading for Mondesi, but like also there was a lot of other things that happened. Like you could almost argue that signing Duval was was the shortstop thing because of the fact that that allowed them to move Kike to shortstop, and uh, with you know story being out, and obviously they signed Yoshida. Obviously, they signed Devers. That was the biggest thing. Um, and then the bullpen was where they did the most work. So so they ended up actually doing all of these things. Um, there weren't really a lot of other moves that happened. The only other thing was I didn't include first base because I figured 
at the time, I think we all kind of figured like it's Costas's job to lose. The thing I don't think we totally expected going into the offseason was that they wouldn't even wait around on Hosmer, that they would just DFA him and let him go um, and effectively anoint Costas and give him the job. Um, so that was just how I approached those, um, the four most recent posts that I did. And I posted um, the most recent one, the bullpen and catcher one on Tuesday, I think this week. So um, that was just, that was how I, how I decided to kind of look at the, look at the off season, what it, comparing what I wrote back then to what they actually ended up doing. Yeah. And it was, it's very thorough. Like if you, if you Thank haven't you. read it yet, you do yourself a favor. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. You don't necessarily have to agree with it, but it's a very thorough analysis of how this off season went down. Um, now, how, how did you end up grading it? How do you, how, how do you think the Red Sox performed with uh, well, off season acquisitions? <laughs> so I think that I've, I've said a version of this on Twitter before, which is that I just, this is going to make me like, you know, uh, I'm not sure how to say it. Like just not fun. I guess the, the lame person at the party, like I just am not into giving an off season grade until after the season has happened, because I don't know how you can grade. Like I, if you're asking me, like, do I feel like they went out and addressed the things that they, the positions that they needed to address, like in one way or another, they pretty much did. Um, I think that like, if you look at this path, if you look at like last off season, if you want to do that, like, and say, okay, how did they do going for 2022? I think you kind of have to give the previous off season, probably like a, at best, like a C minus, maybe even a D plus. Last I would go D on that. Um, um, when you, you know, look at, like what was the big move? A story. Well, it was story, but it's like everybody knew going into the season that the bullpen wasn't good enough. And that everybody also knew that it was, you were really having your fingers crossed with Jackie Bradley and, there were troubling signs in the playoffs with Dahlbeck and it was just like, you know, th- there was stuff and there were a lot of different reasons for it. It was a very strange off season. It was not a typical one, but they just did a lousy job. So I would say that um, I, I am happy with the off season. I, I think that they have, they, they went out and got a, um, they, they signed Devers to the long-term extension, which was in what I said was the most important thing. They got it done. It was a, it was a great deal for both the Red Sox and Devers. They have locked in their franchise player for the next eleven years. Um, it was the it was no you can't complain about it. It, would, it, it maybe it felt like it dragged on longer it, it, longer than it needed to. I think that after the Bogarts thing happened, they um, they decided to make that the priority and they got it done. And you have to applaud them for that. Um, I think that they added a guy and I, you know, maybe we'll get into some of the lineup stuff, but they clearly needed somebody at the top of the order to help set the table, whatever that was. And they feel like Yoshida is going to be that guy. Um, and a guy that is, that is going to make contact and, and kind of set the tone for the lineup. They needed that. So they got that. Um, they need, they wanted a, a DH who had some positional flexibility that also could, have some power and, and get on base and kind of do some of the stuff that JD Martinez didn't do last year. They got that with Justin Turner. And not only that, he's like a major sort of tone setter, clubhouse leader type guy himself. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm disappointed about what happened with the starting pitching. I write this in my piece that it was the the area that I, I felt like if you had a do over on the off season, that's probably the number one thing that I wish could have gone differently is, 
Um, the only thing they really end up doing is kind of elevating some guys, you know, elevating Whitlock and saying he's going to be in the rotation and, and Bayo and going with him. And then the only guy that you got from outside the organization was Kluber, who is great and he wants to be here clearly. Um, and he had a great, he had his best season in a long time last year. He seems like he's figured out a way to manage his, his injury history. Um, but it kind of just leaves you a little bit. Eh, it's like, okay, like it would have been great if they could have made a trade and brought somebody in. But I've said this all winter that making trades this past off season was next to impossible. And the Red Sox, it turned out were not in the best position to be able to make trades unless they wanted to trade guys off of the MLB roster, um, which they did do for the trades that they made. They did trade Josh Taylor and they did trade Matt Barnes to make trades. But the, I think that they probably went into the off season thinking to themselves, like we're going to, you know, we're going to trade a, uh, a Nick York or an Edinson Paulino or, uh, you know, we'll put Wickleman Gonzalez in a trade or whatever. And we're going to we're going to get a we're going to get a, a, a pitcher or an outfielder or somebody that's going to be have term on their contract four, five, six years and plug them in. And, and that's going to be that's we're going to be all set. And that didn't end up happening for a variety of reasons, because it just didn't seem like any team, even rebuilding teams wanted guys that were that low level of the minors. Um, so that's the, that's my biggest disappointment is I wish that they could have been able to do more there. But um, I think that given the needs that they had, all the different areas they needed to address, they, they got the Devers thing done and they ad- addressed the holes adequately enough that I think reasonable people are looking at this current team and saying, this is a team that could possibly be in it at the end of, at the end of the season in, in September. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm fine with the off season. I like where the roster is and the story thing was a bummer, but that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the, I think that they, they recovered really well from the story injury in terms of the moves that they made in the aftermath of that. So that's my long meandering answer is that I don't, I'm not going to give a, I'm not going to give a letter grade that makes me boring but I'm happy with the offseason. I'm happy with what they accomplished. And I, I like where the roster is right now. So I do. I think that it's a very valid point that you're making with this. But I do want to push back a tiny bit okay. on the pitching. And mm-hmm. there's a factor that you're not really including with it. And that's um, James Paxton optioning in on his deal. Um, and then right. going from having him last year at $10 million kind of to just rehab for the whole season. Now they get him back at $4 million. So that's one option there that's looking to be on the 40-man. And then you also have Brian Mata a year removed from his Tommy John. Now he's at AAA. Um, that's Brian Bayo before Brian Bayo um, had moved up as far as potential goes. You've got a healthy Brandon Walter on the 40-man. You've got more options internally, which is something that you talked about. But I, my issue with their offseason has been with the infield depth. And it's not – I don't have a problem with Hernandez playing shortstop. I don't have a problem with them trading for uh, Mondesi. I don't have a problem with Arroyo starting. I don't have a problem with them getting Yu Chang. I do think they're missing one guy there to kind of hold it all together. Because when you look at the four guys that I mentioned, they all have fairly lengthy injury histories. Especially Mondesi and especially Arroyo. Chang, I like Yu Chang. I think more than a lot of the people who reacted when they uh, got him, I think he's solid defensively. He has way more power than people give him credit for. I think yeah, he hit it's nine the ball hard. in one season. Yeah. Um, 
but they just don't have that proven option that you can stick there and, you know, like he'll play four days a week. I thought Jose Iglesias, who is still a free agent, would be very good for that role. Um, I liked him a lot more than Elvis Andres, but it seems like the, this is the direction that they're going. And if they had somebody in AAA that was a little closer then I would say fine. But Sadon Rafaela yeah. and David Hamilton haven't played a game above double A yet. Mm-hmm. The only other real option they have there is that can play shortstop is Nico Goodrum, who kind of flamed out the last couple of years. He's fine as far as depth goes, but if one of those guys go down, you're suddenly in a bit of a bit of a pinch there. Um so that I think I think that I that I'm a little less into that than with the starting pitching, just because I also think that the the bullpen will improve the starters regardless. Yeah. And you've got sale back going into the season, which, you know, like fine, maybe he gets hurt again, but you've got enough options there that I feel a little more comfortable with that than I do the shortstop mm-hmm. depth. But you know, that's a uh that that's the difference there. I'm curious though if you factor where, where you factor Paxton into all this. So um, yeah, I want to touch on both of those things. Um, I think that the, that Paxton, um, is like one of these things where it's like, it, it's either, it, it doesn't, it's not going to hurt the Red Sox much either way, whatever happens because they have the depth. Um, the fact that he opted in for $4 million in hindsight remains one of the, probably one of the most shocking things that happened the entire off season, because you know, it sounded like he was comfortable with the training and medical staff. He liked what was going on here and he wanted to stick it out. He wanted to see what was going to happen. He could have made a lot more than $4 million on this, this, this past uh, uh, free agent market, as long as he could show, as long as he could prove that he was healthy. Um, and so far he's been pitching like everybody else in camp. It doesn't seem like he has a lot of limitations. They might be bringing him on a little bit more slowly, but he seems fine to me. Um you make a good point about the depth, and that is something I, I I don't disagree with. Is that the Red Sox have built a lot of of starting pitching depth, which is a huge deal in the current sort of landscape of of baseball and the direction things are going. Where I think that most teams are recognizing that they need six to seven viable starters in order to get through the season, um, and. I think that the the Red Sox have done a a very commendable job of building up that depth. And that's where um, I agree with you about Brian Mata and Brandon Walter and, and, and Chris Murphy. And I think that those guys will all play factors this year. Um, And, and I think it's commendable. The only point that I'm making is that it goes back to the Kluber thing where it's like, if I just, that Kluber spot, I just wish had been, upgraded with somebody that I felt because, because no matter what we're talking about with this rotation, excuse me, it's all guys who there are question marks from an injury and durability standpoint, um, except I guess for Nick Pavetta. Um, but even he's had, you know, last year, notwithstanding, he's had health issues in the past. Um, so that's the only thing I'm, that's the only thing I'm saying is like, if you, and I, uh, there were, the sort of high end of the trading pitching market was not realistic. The best, who the best pitcher who was actually traded this past offseason was probably Pablo Lopez, right? Like I can't really think of, and and he would have been a great fit, but also who are the Red Sox? Like you know, the Red Sox don't have didn't have a Luis Arias level hitter yeah. on Miami the major league roster. 
Right, and they wanted Cassis, and that was never that was never going to happen. They were they were especially not going to trade him for a guy with two years of, of service time left. So, um, so that's my only thing is that I just I wish that there was another guy in the rotation that I you could t- point to and say I'm going to get 180 quality innings out of that guy. But yeah. that's but that's a that is possibly the 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 road that the Red Sox are looking down this year is is you don't. You know, it's like the if we get to the playoffs, if the Red Sox get to the playoffs this year, we're going to be happy and we might be mildly surprised. But it's like they're not going for it. So I guess I, I understood it from that that standpoint. As far as the the um, the in, the middle infield situation goes, I'm guessing that after Story got hurt, they made the conscious decision that they wanted to try to make up his offense as much as they could. So that's when they went out and signed Duvall, as opposed to. Uh, deciding to spend the money on another uh, on a middle infielder of somebody like who, who uh, based off of who was available at the time. um, Realistically, you know, it it doesn't seem like the Correa thing was ever happening. And um, so they, they went out and they, they got Duvall who was the best sort of power hitter on the market that they could get at a reasonable number. And they elected in the short term, I think to kind of just, roll the dice a little bit with the middle infield stuff. Um, as far as the, as far as like the health goes, yeah, there's questions there. Um, I think that clearly Kike is game to be the everyday shortstop and Christian Arroyo, I feel like has been waiting for this opportunity his whole entire life to be able to be a, a, um, a starting middle infielder in MLB. Um, I think that where I have concern is that we could, you know, because of the shift rules going away, I think that Kike and and Arroyo are both good defensively, but I just worry that we could be like May 1st and we could just be like, this isn't, this isn't working. The, The flip side of that is that if story comes back and you have Mondesi back at, at, at some point too, late in the season, it could be a 180 where you're like, holy crap, we have the best, um, you know, defensive middle infield possibly in, in, in baseball or one of the best ones, if those two guys are healthy and playing. So I think that the, the sense I get is that they are going to just try to ride out the situation that they have with those guys for until the guys that they expect to have be part of that middle infield mix come back. Um, and they didn't want to extend themselves for, you know, even $3 million for Andrews. Obviously they could still sign Iglesias if they wanted to bring him in on a minor league deal. That's there's nothing stopping them from doing that. I think at this point, that's probably not going to happen because of Chang. Um, so I, 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 I think that, that what you're saying about the middle infield part makes a lot of sense. And there, those questions exist everywhere on the roster. And it's, it is kind of, uh, I, I, I go back to what we're saying. Like, I still think definitely an 80, 85 to 90 win team. But there is huge variance. It's a, it's the team that has the Red Sox have like probably the widest variance of outcomes of just about any team that any Red Sox team I can remember going into a season. Um, but I think that given age, experience, like the sort of the fact that the <laughs> the fact that the injury luck was so bad last year, I just kind of can't believe that it's going to all go wrong again this year. It could. But um, yeah, but yeah it, there's it, questions it, up and down the roster. That is, a, yeah, that is in a, a lot of ways, 2021 team got very lucky with injuries, and the 2022 right. team, it was like everything that could have gone wrong did. <laughs> like the name was Milwaukee. Yeah, but exactly. It, it, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the starter because I 
going into the offseason, the guy that I wanted more than anybody else for the Red Sox to sign was Chris Bassett, who yeah. I really thought would have fit into that, you know, just workhorse, top of the mm-hmm. rotation guy. But as soon as that, um, you know, as soon as they mentioned that they probably weren't going after anybody that had a qualifying offer, it was like, okay, well, how are they going to pivot from this? Do you think that it is a it was a mistake for them this offseason not to uh, be willing to sacrifice the draft pick for somebody? Um, no, I, I don't think that was the mistake. The mistake was being over in the first place. Um, like once they were over, I once they ended the season four and a half million dollars over the luxury tax. Um, I think that they, that that made the decision for them that they were not going to look at this off season as the off season to, um, as the off season to give up draft picks, give up two picks to sign. Uh, to, like maybe the the only guy that that was a free agent this past off season that I think the Red Sox would have maybe should have considered giving up the picks for was probably like Trey Turner, but it didn't see, it seemed like, seemed like Trey Turner was going to Philly. Like that was like, seemed like that was like predetermined, especially after he got offered more money by the Padres and turned it down. It was like, that was like, seemed like that was a fait accompli that he was going there. Um, So I, I think that I, and I, and again, this was another, this is maybe the longest medium post that I, I wrote in the off season um, was, an examination of kind of how the Red Sox got to the point of being over the CBT and with the implications, both from a, um, from a a draft standpoint, like this coming, this upcoming draft, like what going over meant in terms of, because they, of losing Bogarts and Eovaldi, how the picks were worse um, and how in turn the draft pool money was worse. And then also the implication of, yeah, if you're going to sign a, a, a qualifying offer free agent, you have to give up a second and a fifth as opposed to just a second. Um, so I don't, I would not have given up two picks to sign Chris Bassett. Um, I, I, I don't think I like Chris Bassett. I think he's a good pitcher. I would have, my own personal opinion is that I would have rather, uh, I, I think the, the, the case that I had made was that if you look at his 2022 and Nate of all these 2021, they were, uh, Nate was better. So if you bank on Nate having better health, I would have wanted to have Bassett instead of, instead of Yavaldi. And um, I, 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 I definitely think that a guy, if you didn't have to give up the, or if you only, if you giving up the second pick and you were getting other picks back, if you were getting two picks back for like letting um, Bogarts and Yavaldi go. Uh, and you're netting two picks that, that way. I and if you were only giving up one pick, I could have seen a scenario where a guy like Bassett probably would have been a perfect fit um, because of the because he was durable at least last year. It's a similar thing where the guy he's had injury stuff in the past, but um, durable guy, somebody that you could count on to for the for that. And we have seen an example of. Um, and I outlined this in the piece that I wrote that the Red Sox are the Trevor story signing is proof that they're willing to give, to give up draft picks to sign guys, sign qualifying offer guys. But there was special circumstance where they hadn't, they had netted an extra pick for the 2020 uh, the, the 2022 draft because of, well, they got two extra picks, but basically they were net of one after signing story because they got one for Erod and they also got one because they didn't sign Judd Fabian. So, um, so it, it, it's the same thing this, this past off season where if they knew they were going to 
potentially lose both Bogarts and Eovaldi, and they only had to give up one pick, maybe they do sign a guy like Chris Bassett. So, so, and I outlined this in the piece about how the decision to stay over the luxury tax had sort of long, long, you know, I get, and you get accused of this too. I get accused of this, of being this, like, you know, somebody that, that is always, uh, you know, supportive of the front office and they really, they really, yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that term. So I don't say it, but, uh, they really screwed this up. Like this was, this shouldn't have happened. Like, and I, and I, but the thing that's interesting that maybe makes me a little bit different is that I go back to the off season prior. I don't necessarily talk about the, talk about the, um, the, the deadline last year, because I don't think it was realistic that they were going to have a full sell off at the deadline. Um, there's people, there's a school of thought now that people think that the Red Sox should have just dumped JD Martinez and his entire salary and not gotten anything back. That was never happening. They were With never two games going back. No, it wasn't. No, going. people forget that they were still in it at that point. Even exactly. If it seemed unlikely. Right. And they were getting guys back from injury too. That was another thing. Like they, you know, they didn't make a bullpen move because, or they, they traded away Deekman, which was an addition by subtraction of the bullpen because they were getting uh, Matt Barnes back that week. Like there was no, there was, they were not going to do this full on sell off. Um, the issue goes back to the off season before where, and again, I'm not, I, I wouldn't say that the, the way to get to avoid it was to not sign story. I, I am glad they signed story. I still believe in him. I think that with the um, getting the last year out of the way, hopefully we see him this year, but there's like, you know, there's potentially five more years on that contract. I think it's going to pay off eventually. Um, I, I go back to, you know, the, the Renfro trade where, you know, you're, you're trading him and getting prospects back, but you're also taking on enough salary that that was what ended up pushing you over the tax. Couldn't you have traded, um, uh, traded Renfro to another team that was willing to take on his whole salary, but, and get some, get process prospects that maybe were not necessarily as good as Ben Ellis or Hamilton, but, but just clear the salary and then sign, somebody for uh, sign another outfielder for under for under under what he was what Renfro was I, it's written in my piece I'm, I haven't thought about this in yeah a while, and, and that, that was such a strange move looking at that retrospectively yeah. too because it was right remember it was right before they went into the uh the lockout literally almost, an hour yeah, yeah. yeah and I almost wonder if they were planning on signing someone like say a Suzuki or somebody like that. And they yeah. were just too slow to the draw once like the frenzy started. Um, exactly. Players started signing again because that was pretty, pretty glaring. And yeah, Jackie Bradley, maybe he could have bounced back uh, his 20. He was one of the better players on the team in 2020. I mean, not that the bar there was high, but he had a good season and just an absolute disaster of a 2021. So a rebound wasn't exactly out of the cards, even if they were, they were overpaying for him, but it does. I mean, that kind of connects a little bit with what I was saying about shortstop where it felt to mm -hmm. me like they ended up cutting the corners a little bit in right field. Like maybe they could have gotten a Tommy fan or something like that earlier just to yeah. hold things together there. It almost feels like they're doing that again with the infield, not to the same extent because at least, you know, they have all the starters right now, but just from a depth perspective, um, do do you think that, 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 is, do you think that the middle infield health-wise, they have enough there that they can withstand an injury or two? I, yeah, I mean, so to your question, so I think that's kind of your 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 big question. It's like, okay, so 
yeah, if you game this out, it's like shortstop is the, is the tough one because I think they have enough guys that could play second base. If something happens with a Royal, like you could probably plug Chang in there and you'd be okay. If Kike gets hurt and Mondesi's not back, then you're in a really tough spot with the shortstop position that, that I, I completely agree with. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if you would just bite the bullet and, and go for defense and, and like just bring Rafaela up and, and see how he does against big league pitching for a couple weeks, just to, just to, just to tie you over as long as it's not a long-term injury. Um, Chang can play shortstop. He's not great at it. Same thing with Arroyo. Arroyo can play shortstop. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck can play shortstop. <laughs> he started a game at shortstop last year. Um, you know, I don't think Emmanuel Valdez can play shortstop. Like I, I, I don't know that you're going to, I don't know that you're going to bring it. You're going to add Christian cost to the 40 man to have him play shortstop. Like I just don't. So I agree with you. Like it's it, but I think that this is the, this is the risk that they, they have decided to take. The other thing that maybe we're discounting is that I, again, they have been really, cagey about where Mondesi is health wise. Um, and I've heard there's been conflicting things over the last week where basically like uh, maybe it was about a week or so ago. Um, Cora said that, you know, they don't have a timetable and he's not really doing baseball activities and, and we're not really sure where he's at. Well, that makes you think that he's going to be out for a while longer. And then I think today he had, Cora has some quotes talking about how he saw Mondesi running and he said he looks athletic and he's the word that he used to describe how he looked was explosive. So that makes me think maybe he's not that maybe he hasn't hit yet and he still has, hasn't really done baseball activities. Maybe he's, Maybe he he'll be ready in mid April. Maybe it's only a couple week thing. I don't know because but by mid by late April he'll be a year out from the surgery. I think so. Um, that could be part that could be part of their calculus too. Is that they're just thinking okay, we just need to we need to write it out a few weeks and then we'll have Mondesi on the roster and we don't have to play him every day. We can work him in as a defensive replacement or a or a pinch runner late in games, and that's going to be our guy um, who's going to be like the the guy who's the backup. But again, you're running. You do run into the same issue with him, where he is a major injury risk because he has had such a hard time staying on the field in his career. Um, but I think if he's the, I, I ideally view Mondesi as the last guy on the bench, as the 26th guy who is like in the current game with where infield defense is being, um, or metal infield defense is being emphasized and base running is being emphasized. Um, I, I love having Mondesi on the team if he's healthy. I think that could end up stealthily being a huge move. Um, I had it in my piece about like just that he um, just his stolen base numbers. If you if you do like the 162, like uh, if you average it out over. Yeah, if you uh, Mondesi is 60 stolen bases per 162 games in his career. And if that was. If he had been healthy for 162 games each of the last five years, he would have led MLB. Those would have been the most steals in all of MLB for each of the last five years. But that's just that is obviously that's not realistic. And but but it's also shows you how to, how athletic and talented he is. And the fact that he has had ACL surgery, I don't know, it could kind of cut both ways where it's either maybe he's not the same guy or it helps him. So. Yeah, really the definition of high risk, high reward there with, no uh, with a lot of, I mean, Mondesi, I think is like the epitome of it. 
but you know, just a lot of guys on this team, which it kind of is exciting to think about that some of these guys might actually, yeah. you know, be something that. Mm-hmm. Uh oh, did we freeze? No, I'm I'm sorry. Oh, oh okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I think no, it might have frozen on my end for a second. Okay. Um, but <laughs> this is going to be a t- totally different subject change. But we okay. have to go into this because it's been the big story the last two days, and I think you know where this is going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Noah Song. Uh, you know, for those that haven't been following what I can only describe as, uh, the biggest headache of the last, uh, of, uh you know, of an off season full of headaches for me, a lot of headaches. I think this Ugh. one's been the, this one's been the worst. So with what I do with Sox prospects, I get a, I have, I'm running the social media. So I get a right. lot of people for the last two years that I've been doing it. Oh, any Noah song updates, any Noah song updates and every, like, you know, the amount of these every uh. week. So when he got picked up in the Rule 5 draft, I thought, finally, I'm done with this because he's going to be in the Air Force for however long. Like, good, I don't have to, I don't have to think about this anymore. And then... Not so the much. News, yeah, the news that he has uh, been given his release. He's allowed mm-hmm. to play baseball again. He's now three years removed yeah. from throwing a pitch, uh, but he's with the yeah. Phillies and... Um, you know, I never thought I was going to have this many arguments about how the Rule 5 draft works, uh, but here we are. Um, what are your thoughts on Noah's song right now? Uh, um, <laughs> I'm totally with you that it just is a part and parcel of, I, I talked about the before, like, you know, how I feel like what, what I want to get out of like the media of, of the people that have the access to the team. And, and the people that have like the biggest platform to talk about the team, the stuff that I want, the, the re the, you talk about being reactionary, the reaction to uh, what happened yesterday was uh, to use a word that went around quite a bit yesterday. It was embarrassing. It was, it was quite embarrassing. It was, it was, yeah, it was an an utter, it was an utter embarrassment. A lot of it, the, the reaction to it, um, the fact that today we find out that, when he found when Noah Song found out that he was being um, that he was being discharged, he went and threw a bullpen with a high school team in Jacksonville, and he said that it was like having to learn how to walk again. Um, and so, and so, I'm supposed to believe that this guy is going to make the 26 man roster of a team that is trying to win the World Series this year. Um, you know, and again, this this was predictable that that Noah Song has not picked up a baseball and has not thrown off of a mound in three years. That, that last week was the first time he threw off a mound in three years. Um, I just, it, it's just, and the, yeah, the local reaction to it, talking about how, you know, Dave Dombrowski is this evil genius and he's going to stick it to the Red Sox uh, for the sole purpose of just keeping this guy on the roster. Cause he's mad at John Henry. Like it's, it's absurd. I am as far as, uh, what the the Red Sox should have done in this case, I I think maybe you're a little bit more up on some of the rules and that you know machinations and different things that could have happened and should have happened. Whatever. What I think it all really boils down to is that if the Red Sox wanted to keep him, they were they were at some point going to need to put him on the forty man roster before the Rule Five draft. Um, and they, they could have put him on. I guess they could have put him on and then taken him off and put him on the military leave list, and it wouldn't have been they wouldn't have had to worry about this, I guess. I think that that is incredibly oversimplified to describe it. And I don't know. um, 
Do people think that like running a major league baseball franchise is as easy as running a fantasy baseball roster? Like, I don't yes, get they it. They definitely think that. they definitely do. So that a team just has like 40 man roster spots lying around and you're just going to give a 40 man roster spot to a guy who hasn't pitched in three years. Like, do you listen to your, do these people listen to themselves when they talk? Like, like, let, let me, let me put it in, I'll put it in these terms. And you mentioned yesterday, I think you tweeted about Chris Murphy and how yep. he was on that same Lowell team with Noah Song. He had like the same ERA. He pitched twice as many innings um, and they were drafted the same year. I think Song was a fourth round pick and I think Chris Murphy was a sixth round pick. That's correct. Um, they both went to college and they were both college, college pitchers. And, but think about the difference between Noah Song and Chris Murphy. Now, Noah Song, you know, Thank you to Noah Song. Like, you know, he, he went to the Naval Academy. He went to flight school. And and I, I think we all appreciate his service and everyone's service. And that was, but that was his choice to, to do that. And it was, and he, want, I think he wanted to play baseball and he applied for the waiver and he didn't get it, that kind of thing. But if we're just looking at it from a baseball standpoint, Chris Murphy has pitched with the Red Sox for the last three years. He was part of the offsite thing in 2020, but then he pitched in the minors in 2021 and 2022. He earned a spot on the 40 man roster by pitching as well as he did. And the Red Sox had some hard decisions to make. The Red Sox had like, this is the other part of this is that the Red Sox had, they lost other guys in the four in, in the rule five draft. Who Moore, are, AJ the guys who are probably actually going to pitch in the big leagues. The Red Sox are probably actually going to lose those guys. Um, but like a guy like Noah song who doesn't pitch for three years, you're supposed to protect him over like these guys who have put the work in, who have been there for the last three years to earn a 40 man roster spot, which is the thing that they have been working their whole lives and their whole careers to get to. What kind of message does, would that send to the guys that, that are in the Red Sox minor league system who have sweated it out on the buses and driving out, going to play, pitching in Altoona, Pennsylvania, and in, in Great Falls, Montana, or wherever the hell you know the, these guys go, those guys work their asses off to get to this point. And I'm not, and again, I'm not denigrating Noah Song in any way and the choices that he's made in his life and what he had to do. But I just think that it's ludicrous to think that the Red Sox are going to give up a 40-man roster spot when they've had a crunch all winter and they also had really hard decisions to make about the about the 40-man and give it to Noah Song, who hasn't picked up a baseball in three years. And then we find out today that, again, he he, he was like throwing a baseball for him off a mound was like having to learn how to walk. So I think that at the end of the day, he is probably, hopefully, the best case scenario is that he ends up back with the Red Sox and he and if he – if he he wants to do this and he wants to pitch and he still has the talent, we can see where he's at and, and they can probably keep him in Florida, keep him in the complex and and see what happens with him. But this idea that like the Red Sox screwed this up in some way, it's from from going back to going back to the rule five decision and also this what's happened over the last couple of days that the Red Sox somehow screwed this up. It just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make any sense, Ed. <laughs> it's, just, it's people ah. that are at, yeah no it's a hammer in search of a nail you know yes they, well they just they they don't care the reason they just want to hate on something exactly. and they want to complain about it and that's fine like people get their own motivation and enjoyment out of things for whatever reason but it does but it does bring on a question and that's why did dombrowski even take song in the first place i think that it's i i do think it was two reasons i do think part of it was 
I think he did want to get get back at the Red Sox, but also I definitely do think that he thought that he drafted Noah Song and he saw his talent and he was like, okay, this guy's available. I want to take him. Yeah, so he, he did. took um, Cam Cannon the round uh, yeah. in the Mike portion of the draft. Cam Cannon another... might as well. Cam Cannon might as well have not played the last three years. Um, <laughs> but you know, again, we, we talk about Dealer Dave and his his brilliant drafting. That's that's one of his one of his worst picks, I would say. Um, but but. Yeah, so he took him too because he knew because it was a name. He's like, okay, I know that guy. You know what's interesting to me is I, I, it does seem like these guys, like the guys that are in charge of the team, are making the rule five picks because that could very easily be something that he would delegate out to Sam Fold, who is his who is his general manager. And I'm not sure that Sam Fold would would have been super thrilled about taking a guy who hasn't pitched in three years in the rule five draft. You know, that pick was a hundred percent Dombrowski. Oh, a thousand um, percent. Dombrowski. Some of the trades with the minor league stuff too. Cause he's done this before with like chat, CJ yeah. Chatham trading Victor. Santos. Yeah. It's, that's a, he's that was another one. Yeah. So I, I think that, uh, yeah. I, I, why did he take him? Yeah. I think he thought he was talented. It's a rule five pick. There's like not really any risk for him. I also do think that the Phillies were not anticipating him getting his waiver this year. <laughs> Um, because I think the, the rules would be different next year. My understanding is that they would have only need to keep him on the roster for 90 days after a full year of being on the military list. So I think that, that this is kind of, uh, I don't want to say it's backfired on the, on the Phillies because it's again, for them, it's not a big deal. Like it, they don't, you know, they're not, uh, they're trying to win the world series this year. They have a, a stacked team. They have a stacked roster. Um, it doesn't matter to them very much. It's just, the 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 hubbub about this was just uh, an effort to try to make any to try to spin anything that is negative about the Red Sox into an abject disaster and a and a and a and a, uh, uh, and a, a reflection on on Heim Bloom's alleged incompetency and and that's that's most of what this was about but and yeah. and showing betraying a lack of knowledge about how roster building in Major League Baseball actually works forty man roster spots. Do not grow on trees. That's that's ultimately what it comes down to. No, they do not. And it's it's one of those things that frustrates me more than anything else with the media cycle and how Twitter operates. If the sky is always falling, it's never falling. And <laughs> right. we see that yeah. a lot because, you know, every single move that happens is an abject disaster. And there have been listen, listen, I there were moves this offseason that I wasn't thrilled with. There were moves that I really liked. Um, mm -hmm. You know, losing Trevor Story to that injury was bad. That was yeah. objectively a really bad thing for this team. That's like their second best, at least as far as proven hitters go. Yeah, That was not a good thing. But the reaction to so many other things, it loses that effect. You know, exactly, like, right. No, the outrage. You make it. That's a great point. The stuff that we're talking about with the, the going over the CBT, there's like a legitimate like gripe and saying, okay, that's something that both sets the team back in terms of their signing free agents and also the quality of players they can select in the draft. Like that was a, a four and a half million dollar decision that is probably going to end up costing the team a lot more than that. That's a legitimate thing to 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 criticize the team over. But yeah, but like, but yeah, you're you're totally right that if you yeah if, if if you if you complain about everything, then you lose the sight of the stuff that you probably really should actually be complaining about. Yeah, and that got lost. Also, sorry to keep adding on this, but like, oh my god, this was just it was infuriating. Where this thing that was like objectively a blunder by the team happened, and everyone's just whining about trading Jay Group. Like, right? Uh, yeah. No offense to Jay Group, who. 
I am, you know, he's still on the 40 man there. Interesting prospect. Yeah. But he was, you know, he wasn't, they weren't going to be able to keep him. He was the most obvious guy to go just because of that 40 man spot. They weren't going to be able to sneak him through waivers. Exactly. Yeah. And Grim pitched pretty, I guess it, he pitched pretty well for the Padres after that trade. And um, same and you were talking about a GM that like, you know, has knows a guy like it seemed like the the sense in that draft was that Preller was hoping that Groom would fall to him would fall to the Padres because, um, and so he, he wanted that guy. But oh, it's the same thing where it's like yeah, Jay Groom. Like I remember that about there was like a Rosenthal report talking about uh talking about that, and you know Rosenthal is not a he's a a, a he has to cover everybody, so he doesn't know the ins and outs of every team. But he kind of effectively said that um. Corey Rozier and Max Ferguson did not equal uh, um, Jay Groom, even if you take the Hosmer part out of it. And it's just, that's just objectively not true. Like I, it's just to me, like, I don't like, not that I necessarily think Ferguson and and Rozier are going to be like these world beating, you know, all-star level players, but they're both talented. Max Ferguson was a really good player in college. Like, um, you know, and, and, and I think Max Ferguson, I think, I don't know which which one of them is like really fast. It's like a, like a seven um, five eight. R- Rozier's pretty fast. They're both pretty, so, they both have a lot of stolen bases. I think Ferguson stole like forty or something like that. Um, but Rozier's a good contact hitter, and he has he's yeah. one of these guys that's like that can hit the gaps pretty well. Plays decent defense. Yeah, so it's just objectively not true to just be like that. The, that like Groom was so much better than either than at where groom was in his career, as opposed to what the potential upside is for those two hitters. Um, and yeah. And, and again, people use that as a chance to knock the Red Sox and it just wasn't, you know, it, it's, it's, everybody can have their opinions about prospects and players and stuff like that, but that, but like you said, they were not going to keep Jay groom. He was going to be removed from the 40 man uh, to move, to make room for the guys like Brandon Walter and, and Chris Murphy and, ultimately like David Hamilton and, and Raffaella and those guys, he was not sticking around. They, they knew what they had with him. And so you might as well move on from him. Then were, and this, these are the decisions that the teams have to make because of the fact that there is a finite number of roster spots that you can give to these guys and um, you know, making trades to try to clear up the a 40 man crunch is that's part of the job. And you can't, yeah. and again, you can't just give that spot to a guy who is, uh, who hasn't pitched in three years just because of the fact that in 17 innings and then in, a, in, a, then in an international tournament, he looked great three years ago and hasn't pitched since then. You just can't yeah. do it. You just can't do that. Yeah. And we're not, I mean, this isn't also, we're not just like shitting on Noah song. Like he, you know, like, no, of again, course not. but he hasn't pitched in three years. Anybody <laughs> right. having not pitched in three years is going to, you know, like you don't have that spot for them. Um, but it's it's interesting that you mentioned that as far as the roster building, because something that I think has been lost this offseason that I've really appreciated when it comes to the 40-man crunch is the moves that they've been able to make with guys like Frank German, Franklin German and mm-hmm. um, um, Matt Barnes, where they got mm-hmm. – with, with German, they got effectively a similar pitcher – that isn't on the 40 man that they can mm-hmm. kind of rewind the clock on in Theo Dellinger, who, by the way, also a blacksmith, which is blacksmith, cool, but, the uh, blacksmith, yes. And who like made an axe or whatever on it. Like, I know he has like yeah. a bat that's also an axe that he, yeah, made. Like, it's just like just just cool, but he also, you know, throws 98 mile an He's hour, feet, which is yeah. what German could do. But then also with Barnes, you were able to take a guy and they didn't end up like dropping a huge amount of money or anything, it was an even split, but they needed a lefty and they had yeah. they have a lot of righties and they got somebody. 
that's a change of pace lefty, I think, in Richard Blyer that mm-hmm. really fits what the team's strategy is right now as far as strike throwing and pitching into, pitching to weak contact. Um, and moves like that from DFAing those guys instead of having to and kind of being creative with acquiring these. I I don't know. I have a I, I think that moves like that are underappreciated yeah. when the flashier moves like, you know, like Raphael Devers getting an eleven year extension, which by the way, yeah. awesome. Like that was that 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 move cannot be appreciated enough. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. You know, we you talked have, a lot yeah, you, of, have to, you have to do both you have to make both of those kinds of moves. That's that's hundred yeah, percent. De- definitely. Now we've talked a lot about you know, just stuff like gripes that we've had with the offseason weaknesses and stuff like that. And we're almost at the hour mark. And I know before we did this, I was like, oh, we're going to shoot for an hour. But I think it's important that we talk about a little bit about what we've liked as oh, yeah. well, because sure. there's so we're going to go a little bit over that line. If you know, if you have a strict hour limit, stop listening in about 45 <laughs> seconds. Um, yeah. But if you were waiting for us to, you know, be a little more positive, talk a little bit about more what we've liked. Um, what have you liked the most about this offseason for the Red Sox? What moves are you excited to see? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I feel like we've talked about both sides of it where it's like there's good and maybe not so good things about most of the moves, except for the Devers, you know, extension. Um I do think like which is, you know, uniformly positive. Everybody loves it. It's it was a great move and and great contract, great for both the team and the player. Um I think that if I am looking at the stuff that I like the most, I I definitely do think like I'm I'm pretty in on Yoshida. Um I think that based off of and and nothing that I've seen so far has has uh, of him actually playing in in or him uh in spring training has dissuaded me from my thought that I just think he's you know, I, I I don't know realistically if the power is going to translate as much because he did hit off. Um, he did average like twenty three homers a year the last three years in in or the last like four full seasons that he played in Japan. It's impressive, um, but I think that he's just going to be a transformative guy at the top of the order. I'm I'm really happy that they they he they they identified somebody that they wanted and they spent the money to get that player um, as opposed to I think they were a few times this off season where they had guys that they identified that they wanted. And a couple times they did give them the contract that they ended up getting, but the guys ended up signing to be closer to home or they, for, you know, tax reasons, that kind of thing. They identified Yoshida as a guy that they wanted and they went out and they outbid other, other teams. I, I, and there's this sort of, I think perception in the industry that they way overpaid for him. Um, I think some of that, a lot of that is sour grapes in my opinion. I think the other, t- I think it was Ian, that said this on the, on, on Chris and Ian's podcast saying that um, the other two teams that really wanted Yoshida were Toronto and the Dodgers. And it's like, those teams are not considered dumb teams. <laughs> you know, no, the Red Sox just very, wanted those are very smart teams. Exactly. It's funny so, also it, because when people talk about Dombrowski, he overpays for the guys that he wants. Exactly. So you would think that the, there would be an appreciation for, Oh, they clearly yeah. wanted this guy, but because he doesn't have a track record in the U S it's yeah. It's that, and you know, maybe yeah. maybe he'll be more Kosuke Fukudome than uh, than Ichiro Suzuki. But he was, a, you know, yeah, you got to appreciate the player. commitment. Yeah, yeah and appreciate the, the commitment. Absolutely, I think that they 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 scouted him heavily. They decided he was a good fit, and they went for him. The other move that I just wanted to quickly to say as as like a smaller scale move that I really like. I I, I touched on this before, which is that I thought the Red Sox did a really good job after the story injury of. Um, pretty quickly 
figuring out how they were going to at least fill his hole in the lineup. And I think that the du- the Duval signing was a really good piece of business from the standpoint that it w- it was a one year contract. It wasn't. Um, it was you know the seven million dollar base. Um, I don't know. Are there incentives? Ten million max. That, that I think. Ten million max for a guy who has a a, a swing that's tailor made for Fenway. Um, and again, you you look at what Story's offensive profile is: a lot of swing and miss, a lot of strikeouts, but a lot of power. Um, Duvall is similar, probably more strikeouts, but potentially more power too. And that he could fill a need and play center field. He may be stretched playing center field close to every day. He's probably realistically he's more of a, a corner infielder or a corner outfielder, but he can play center field. I thought that 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 having that guy available on the market and being able to to go to him and convince him and say, hey, come here, you're going to get to play center field. You're going to hit probably pretty close to the middle of the order. And he's another one of these like veteran glue guy types that seems like everybody really likes him. He's been on winning teams. He's been on, uh, he's been, uh, he's a world series champion. I thought like as a, as not like a huge move compared to the Devers signing or even the Yoshida signing. I thought that, that especially in the wake of losing story, I thought that the Duval signing was, was really, uh, was a very clutch signing, honestly. And then you couple that with the trade for Mondesi that happened around the same time. Um, yeah. Those, and thought, yeah, there was a forgotten move in there a little bit too. That I think when you talk about Duvall not necessarily being able to play center field, well, if that happens, they got Rybel Tapia, who yeah. can play mm-hmm. a competent major league as a fourth outfielder. He can play a perfectly competent center field. So you have that. I think that they have, and I'm sorry, I keep going back to my complaint about the infield, but I feel <laughs> like they have really covered their bases. With depth, they got Jorge Alfaro as a catcher if that doesn't mm-hmm. work out. You know, right. they still have Dahlbeck at first base if something happens with Cassis. And, you know, you're not thrilled about that, but he's somebody that has played mm-hmm. there and has had some success. People forget just how strongly Dahlbeck finished the year in 2021 and how good oh, he absolutely. was when he first came Last up. Two that, great, yeah. that hasn't gone anywhere. I think, like, yeah. and we haven't talked a lot about the struggles of Bobby and Jaron, but... You know, I think a lot of that was in their own head, and a lot of that had to do with the pressure that's been put on them. And, you know, the more I hear with Cassis and what he had to go through when he went there, not, you know, that he had to go through, that he basically had to deal with veterans being assholes. Like, you know, that's not a Boston-specific thing. But with them now being there for, I mean, this is going to be Bobby's third season, Jaron's, I think it's his second. Um, No, this will be Bobby's fourth season. Technically, yeah, right, because yeah, yeah he, well, he came up at the end of twenty twenty. Yeah, um, so they're a part of they're a part of the culture now. Um, that might make yeah. it easier for them, especially a guy like Duran who does seem to care about what other people think. Just when you you know you mm-hmm. see the anxiety that he's kind of had to deal with since um, you know his his first two calls haven't gone that well. Yeah, and with Bobby, you could tell last year with like everything, like he just was really in his own head. It seemed like the entire the entire season um they have depth Mm -hmm. they really they really do and like they've set the team they've set themselves up very nicely um yeah it feels like a big yeah feels like a big difference from last year is that it it does seem like with the pitching staff both the defense and the or both the starting pitching and the bullpen and then guys who have who have major league experience all over the diamond they have done a really good job of setting themselves up for depth they're setting themselves up um, you know, in case there are injuries in spring training, um, you know, you like, yeah, you said Tapia is somebody that would completely a hundred percent fit as a competent MLB 
a starting outfielder. Alfaro obviously is a starting competent starting MLB catcher or not a starting catcher, but he can, he can catch. Um, same thing with, uh, with even having Nico Goodrum in camp and, and some of these other guys, they have a, there's a ton of pitching depth, like I said. So they're in a, they're in a better spot to withstand um, injuries or even guys being ineffective compared to last, last season. And yeah, I I'm with you as far as Duran goes, like, I think that he clearly came into camp in great shape. Um, I have really been, I've really liked what I've seen from the change that he made to his swing um, from what you've seen in like live batting practice and stuff like that, where he looks much more, his compact, his swing is much more compact. It's much more short to the ball. He's taking a shorter stride. It's all stuff that can help him. We'll see what, what happens in games. And he's going to be going uh, to the world baseball classic for Mexico, assuming that he, you know, I, I kind of questioned that decision at first, the more I think about it, I, I, I think it was smart for him um, to go. And I think he will get a good opportunity. They, they have a pretty good outfield on that team. They have Rosarena and, and, uh, and Verdugo obviously too. And, um, but he, uh, he knows that this is his, like, you know, Duran and Dahlbeck both getting optioned late last year. I think you have to imagine that those were big wake up calls for those guys of, of just like this, the, the dream of being in the big leagues is, is slipping and I have to do everything I can to, to keep, uh, to keep, keep that dream alive. And I think both of those guys, we're going to see the best versions of them this spring training. And if it's not in Boston, maybe those guys show case enough that another team that has a need, the Red Sox can, can get some. That's, that was another big surprise this off season was that they were not able to, they weren't able to trade either Duran or Dahlbeck considering the fact that they have better options at the major league level for both of those guys. And um, they both have years of service left and, it doesn't seem like, you know, I don't know if they set too high of a price or they just didn't, other teams weren't as interested in them, but um, that could change if they both have big, uh, big springs and other teams develop needs. Yeah. No, suddenly they become, they have the value that they had a couple of years ago. You know, you right. can get something yeah. with that. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny with Dalbeck too. Um, Cause I had Rio Gomez on a few weeks ago yeah. and they were teammates at, um, at U of A and he, the oh, yeah. way he described Bobby was that, you know, he was just like the most natural baseball player he's ever seen. Everything came easy to him. So imagine like, you know, like you're kind of just cruising yeah. like that. And then you're experiencing really your first, mm-hmm. your first failure at such a, such a big yeah. level. Like that's gotta be, uh, you know, that's gotta be tough to bounce back. From major, we'll major see league. If you can. It's a, it's a very, baseball is a very, is certainly is a very humbling sport. And I think that you see that over and over again with guys that, are hugely successful in, in amateur ball or they're successful in the, in the minors and they get to the majors and it just doesn't, it doesn't happen. Um, and I think that, yeah, that's interesting because Bobby is a great athlete. Like there's no question that he can. And I, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see him in spring training playing positions other than first base, which I don't know that people quite realize that Bobby didn't really play first base until he was in the majors. I mean, he was, he was an excellent third fielding third base, but right. And he had to move because of, because of Devers. And it's like, there was, there was, um, but he's like, yeah, he's a great athlete. He can, he could be, I think. And again, going back to, uh, you know, I, I think Ian has said this a lot on, on their podcast that he kind of compares him to like a Dylan Moore type where it's like, okay, this guy, he can do stuff. He could play around the diamond. He could get 300, 400 at bats. He's not going to play every day. He maybe will just play against lefties, but there's a, there's a role for a guy like Bobby Dahlbeck in the majors. And oh yeah, um, I think guys like that. Yeah. And he's, he's athletic. It's just 
has to come down to he has to get better at catching up to premium velocity with fastballs. He just, and especially against right-handers, because that's just what kills him. He can't, he can't catch up to, to major league caliber four seamers. And if he can do that, then you have a major leaguer. But it's it's interesting that a lot of their top prospects have had that issue recently because Duran yeah. had the same thing, but Michael Chavis couldn't catch up with the high fastball nope. either for for ages. Never could. You know, eventually yeah. he, you know, he got traded to Pittsburgh, and I think he's with the Nationals now. But... I was gonna say, yeah, I think he he landed back with the Nationals. Maybe he'll have a he'll he'll have a shot again there. What if like <laughs> the eighteen farm like ex Red Sox farm right now Jeter it's like Bad Ward, and, yeah. Joey Manessis, Jeter Downs ended up yeah. there. Yeah, they're all they all end up with uh, with the Nationals. Yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, well, this has been great having you on, yeah. Jake. Like, you definitely are going to have to come back during the season to kind of see where these things yeah. uh, where things end up going. And um, can you just plug your Twitter and your medium account one more time? Absolutely. Um, it's so it's at Jake T O'Donnell on Twitter. Um, a lot of baseball, a lot of uh, a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of uh, music, a lot of, you know, I, I do talk a lot of NBA also. I was uh, say, I've seen some Celtics my, there. Yeah. Celtic stuff there. Um, and then my medium is like medium.com slash at Jake T O'Donnell. Um, there's actually one more thing I'd like to plug and yeah, um, let's do it. My, my Instagram is also Jake T O'Donnell at Jake T O'Donnell. And on my Instagram, I do um, uh, every, well, I try to do it every week. I go on Instagram live and I, I open old packs of baseball cards and talk about who's inside. Uh, oh, that's cool. And, yeah. And, and what the reason why I do it is I, I kind of started doing it. It was right around the time the season started last year. It just kind of grew organically. I just was like, okay, I'm going to start doing this. I try to highlight a, a charity every week um, and, and a good cause. Um, so uh yeah and I, i've thought about doing it on, on doing them on twitter live also um maybe I'll, I'll i'll jump on and do that but yeah i do i try to do that usually either when i did it last night um usually either do it wednesday or thursday nights and yeah just i've i've been uh since i've started it, it i usually do packs of cards from like the late 80s early 90s um and i've, I've got a few packs recently that i'm going to try to open that are sort of more early 2000s which is more of the you know years that i was in high school um I so far I've opened I don't know how many packs I've opened but I've I have pulled all like almost 40 Hall of Famers from the different packs that I've opened. Um I pulled a, an Edgar Martinez early card last night which was cool. Um I would I've been trying to get I've been opening 89 upper deck packs trying to get the Griffey rookie and have, haven't been successful yet. But um so that's something that I try to be when you get it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh but yeah, so that's the same as my Twitter Jake Jake T O'Donnell um for my Instagram and yeah, like I said I try to um I I I I don't want to do it just to do it. I want to do it to sort of highlight uh, good causes as well and you know I've, I've done I've had I've I've been highlighting some mental health organizations recently and um you know, uh, a lot of a animal shelters and, and things like that. So, um, so that's, that's, uh, uh, a way that I try to, I, I try to do, do a good thing. So good baseball guy, good person. We're, uh, thank we're, you, Ed. This, this has been an absolute pleasure, Jake. Um, thanks. Thanks again so much. And, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see. I think, uh, Hogdale, Brandon and I are going to be doing, um, we're going to be back to our, uh, our Sunday bullshit this, uh, this weekend <laughs> after the spring training game. So I guess, uh, I guess we'll see you then. Till next time. Right. Thanks.